The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. January 26, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. I want to begin today with a message to some of the people who are not listening. Online or in life, you've likely encountered someone who says, I'm so tired of politics. The election's over. No more politics. Well, this message is for them, if you wouldn't mind passing it on. The election may be over, but this democracy still has issues that need to be discussed, policies that need to be decided. That's politics. And although the election may be over, the political process is not. People who turn off discussion of the issues, block their friends on social media, and use their distrust of the media as an excuse not to pay attention to what's happening are like children putting their hands over their ears and singing loudly to block it all out. They've buried their heads in the sand, something even ostriches really don't do. Ostriches are actually digging holes for their eggs. If they put their heads into the ground, they'd suffocate from a shortage of air. Your friends and other people who refuse to engage, now that the election's over, are in danger of suffocation from a shortage of facts, and it's up to us to save them. We need to remind them that some of us got tired of algebra, but we forged through it, or tried to. It was expected of us. It was our responsibility. Remind them that being a citizen is their responsibility. It isn't just coming along for the ride. It's about meeting our responsibility to shape the country, to engage, to participate. And in order to contribute, you have to be informed. Find a credible news source. Find several and keep an eye on what's coming from the less credible sources. Remind your friends that just because they don't like what they're hearing doesn't mean it isn't real news. What you're about to hear is why listening and taking part are so important. Here's my take on what happened this week and where we are today. The George Orwell book 1984 is flying off the shelves at Amazon, rocketing to number one on the bestseller list. The sales of other books about authoritarianism are up as well, including Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Readers were reminded of these classics when Trump fought with the press this week over alternative facts. Book sales are also up for Sinclair Lewis's It Can't Happen Here and a nonfiction book called The Origins of Totalitarianism. Our top story, really, may be that Donald Trump has now placed a gag order on government agencies that look out for your well-being. The USDA, which inspects your food and regulates your medicines. The EPA, which cleans up after polluters and tries to enforce the remaining regulations. And even the National Institutes of Health, there to warn us of spreading disease. As one scientist put it, if you breathe air, drink water, or eat food, this puts your health and safety at risk. But we'll circle back to that. On his first day in office, a couple of pages disappeared from the WhiteHouse.gov website. One was the LGBT rights page. The other was on climate change. New to the website, a plug for the first lady's line of jewelry. And then, just as he'd done in the campaign and apparently indicative of the next four years, Trump spent part of the first weekend of his presidency telling some lies. It began with his praise for the same U.S. intelligence agencies he'd scolded after falsely accusing them of leaking a report that alleged Russia has blackmail power over Trump and ridiculing the agencies for faulty intel about Saddam Hussein. Also in that scolding, Trump compared our intelligence officials to Nazis, presumably for pursuing an investigation into possible connections between his people and Russia, 
an investigation that inspired further review by two congressional committees. But Saturday, Trump told intelligence workers he's behind them, that he loves them, and that he's with them 1,000%. After that head-spinning reversal came the first lie of the weekend, Trump claiming reporters had made up stories of tension between him and the intelligence community. I have a running war with the media, he explained to the spies. And so, on his first full day in office, Trump called journalists among the most dishonest human beings on Earth. Also in his visit to the CIA, Trump said much of the intelligence community had supported him in the campaign. But just hours earlier, U.S. intelligence reported it's reviewing intercepted communications as part of its investigation into Russia's efforts to help elect Trump. At least three members of Trump's early campaign team are apparently being checked for business ties to Russia. One of them, Paul Manafort, is already known to have been a consultant for the former Russian-backed government in Ukraine. Over at the FBI, Director James Comey won't say whether his agency is investigating Trump's associates. Publicly discussing an open investigation, he says, is a violation of FBI policy. Although Comey didn't mind breaking that rule for Hillary Clinton just days before the election. At the CIA, Director John Brennan resigned as Trump was sworn in, Brennan's chief of staff saying... He was both saddened and angered by Trump's Nazi reference and that Trump should be ashamed of himself. But Trump showed no signs of shame and moved on to his second lie of the weekend, that despite proof to the contrary, up to one and a half million people had turned out for his inauguration, a million for sure, he said. The crowd could have been as small as 250,000, certainly no more than 600,000. Let's say it was somewhere in between, maybe a little over a third of a million. By comparison, a million people were at Obama's last inauguration, 1.8 million at his first. Bill Clinton got 800,000 at his first inauguration. Trump's turnout was considerably smaller, and the Trump administration was publicly embarrassed by pictures on social media and mainstream media showing lots of empty viewing stands and lots of empty space on the National Mall. That's when Trump's White House began to lie as well and joined Trump in blasting the news media. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer tore into reporters as he falsely claimed, quote, that was the largest audience to witness an inauguration, period. It's a statement Trump aide Kellyanne Conway called alternative facts. In an interview with NBC's Chuck Todd, Todd reminded Conway that alternative facts are falsehoods. Spicer's lie included the claim that 720,000 people had turned out for the inauguration, about half of what Trump had claimed, and about double an estimate by PolitiFact. PolitiFact rates Spicer's claim at pants on fire. And while crowd size may not matter to some, the number's discussion is indicative of an administration allergic to the truth and indicative of the lack of support for Trump compared to the impressive size of his opposition. As one protester put it, there are more of us than there are of them. That is apparently true. Trump not only lost the popular vote by 3 million, far more people turned out to protest him over the weekend than turned out to witness his swearing in. While Trump's crowd was around a third to a half million people, more than a million people took to the streets across the country from Juneau, Alaska to Miami to rally against him in cities red and blue. There were at least 50 marches in California, 18 in Alaska where temperatures were below zero. And there were at least 673 anti-Trump marches around the world, including those in Britain, Germany, Denmark, France, Spain, Australia, Canada, Mexico, and Israel. Worldwide, the turnout against Trump totaled over 3 million people. The Washington, D.C. Women's March that was expecting 200,000 attracted 500,000 people of both genders. 
400,000 turned out in New York's Manhattan. Another 250,000 marched in Chicago, where a marching band showed up to play the Darth Vader theme. 125,000 braved the cold in Boston. Streets had to be closed in Los Angeles to accommodate the bigger-than-expected crowd of a half million. 100,000 each turned out in Seattle and in Denver and in Portland, Oregon. Tens of thousands turned out in Atlanta, Miami, New Orleans, Las Vegas, San Diego, Sacramento, Philadelphia, St. Paul, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Jacksonville, Mississippi. Far more red cities than blue. They were billed as demonstrations for women's rights, but they quickly morphed into a show of force against Trump. Most of the marchers, at least in D.C., wore pink knitted caps, which they called pussy hats, a reference to Trump's comment about grabbing women by the genitals and other misogynist remarks. Trump saw the pictures, tweeting, Why didn't these people vote? There were essentially no arrests, unlike some of the anti-Trump protests the day before, and the Saturday turnouts were bigger than expected. It went so well, March organizers met again this week to plot their next big move. The ACLU is fighting Trump in the courts, meanwhile. Using the Freedom of Information Act, the ACLU is already suing Trump, trying to force him to release his tax return so Americans can see for themselves whether he has conflicts of interest. In the streets, in the courts, online and elsewhere, the resistance to the new Trump Republican government appears to be just starting. Progressive groups of various stripes are banding together. There are now more than 4,000 groups across the country who make up the resistance, calling themselves the Indivisible Movement. You can access Indivisible's handbook online. Its primary advice for individuals is that you repeatedly make yourself heard by your locally elected senators and representatives regardless of their party and regardless of your own. Contacting any other lawmaker is a waste of time. They don't have to listen because you're not one of their constituents. Your local senators and representatives, however, were elected to represent you, which they can only do if they hear from you. It will be an interesting four years as the resistance makes clear it will not be silenced and as the new president and his staff lie about little things and bigger things. All the protesting drew attention away from Trump's inauguration speech, but it shouldn't, because that speech was historic in its own way. Trump avoided the usual efforts by a new president to unite the country and rally support from those who'd voted against him. Instead, Trump remained in campaign mode, pitting ordinary people against Washington. It was a speech that scorned all of the former presidents sitting behind him. Unlike other presidents who focused on optimism, Trump's speech painted a dark picture, often with a string of half-truths. In a speech written by advisors, Trump claimed violent crime is up, and while it is up by 4% over the past year, we continue to have the lowest violent crime rate we have seen in decades. Trump spoke of the suffering of American industry, another untruth. Corporate profits have reached record highs in recent years. It's the workers who suffered, not the corporations. He referred to the depletion of our military, another falsehood. The Pentagon spends more on our defense than the next six biggest countries' militaries combined. Trump talked about an America filled with closed factories, and while jobs have been lost in recent years, industrial output is already at its highest level in history. We will, said Trump on Inauguration Day, make America wealthy again. Although the middle class has been left behind, this nation, by all other measures, has never been wealthier. But the bigger story is about what Trump didn't say, failing to acknowledge the worries about his presidency with no mention of morals or values or freedom, no memorable quotes to carry forward into history, unless you count the American carnage part of his inaugural speech. 
Leading up to that phrase, Trump spoke of a country with people trapped in poverty, compared the closed factories to tombstones, and accused our schools of leaving students, quote, deprived of all knowledge. And what interesting nuggets might be secreted away in the tax returns that Trump continues to hide from the rest of us. Trump says he won't release his tax returns, not now, not after the IRS audit, not ever, despite his promise to release them after the audit. Every president since Nixon has made public their tax returns so the American people can see the president has no secret financial interest in businesses they might have to govern fairly. Trump has a lot of interest, but he insists there's nothing to see in those returns, saying they are not the place to look for the real story on his finances. Besides, as Trump put it during the campaign, the only ones that care about my tax returns are the reporters. Trump aide Kellyanne Conway says we've had this discussion already and that, quoting her, people didn't care. They voted for him. Trump and Conway are either misled or lying. 74% of Americans want Trump to release those tax forms, 74%, and that includes more than half of all Republicans. A quarter million people have signed a petition on the White House website pressing for those documents. Under Obama, it only took 100,000 names to get action or some kind of response. This White House, however, seems far more likely to ignore petitions it doesn't like. The petition expresses concern about foreign and financial interests that may put Trump, quote, in conflict with the emoluments clause of the Constitution. That clause says presidents cannot profit from their dealings with another country. Trump gets rent money from a Chinese bank, which has office space in Trump Tower. He profits when visiting foreign dignitaries stay at his hotel in a building he leases from the U.S. government. What is not yet clear is whether these are clear violations and whether such a violation qualifies as the kind of high crimes and misdemeanors that could lead to Trump's impeachment. Trump's been on office less than a week, and yes, the I-word has already come up. An ethics watchdog group is now filing suit against Trump, accusing him of violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution by continuing to profit from his business. That, says the group, contradicts Trump's stated goal of putting America first. On Monday, a new lie or delusion by Trump, repeating as he met with congressional leaders his belief that he would have won the popular vote had it not been for three to five million illegal votes just as when he made that claim during the campaign, Trump offered no facts to support his belief because there aren't any. There were no facts either when the new White House backed up Trump's belief, even when confronted with the facts from reporters. Trump's belief is apparently based on his misreading of a Pew Research study that showed millions of registrations were out of date because someone had moved or died, but the study found no evidence that any of those people actually voted. Trump seized upon the millions moving or dying part and tweeted that people were voting in two states and that votes had been cast by people who are dead. There are reportedly people in Trump's camp who are registered in more than one state. Five million illegal votes, he claimed, even though his own campaign declared the election results not tainted by fraud or mistake when they were finally certified. And by Wednesday, Trump had announced, on Twitter of course, a major investigation of fraud in the election that he won. Trump, bothered still by losing the popular vote by 3 million, apparently believes he can set the record straight, even though states' attorneys general across the country report only a handful of fraudsters out of tens of millions of voters. So, with no substantial evidence, let the investigation begin, at taxpayer expense, to satisfy this thing that still bothers him, even though he won.
Trump tweeted he will tighten voting laws after the investigation, depending on how the investigation turns out. A major investigation based on a belief there was voter fraud, even though there wasn't any. Hey, everybody, the emperor has new clothes. Republican South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham again wants to go on record as flabbergasted. He says Trump either needs to show some proof of voter fraud or stop talking about it. Graham says Trump is destroying his own credibility by clinging to opinions that are not facts. As for Trump's promise to help average people and make government work for the people, he went right to work on that. If you pay for insurance on your mortgage, your rates were just about to go down from 8.5 to 6.0. For a lot of people, it meant keeping an extra 500 bucks a year. Hope they haven't spent that money. On his first day in office, Trump signed an executive order reversing an Obama order to cut mortgage insurance rates. Now, under the department to be headed by Ben Carson, Housing and Urban Development, the premium cuts have been, quote, suspended indefinitely. No explanation was given. It's a move that could throw the mortgage insurance market into chaos since mortgage companies have been bracing and preparing for the lower rates, not to mention preparation by the homeowners. Quoting the head of the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, exactly how does raising the cost of buying a home help average people? If you have military in your family, if you have friends or relatives in harm's way in Iraq or Syria or elsewhere, if you care about the safety of the men and women risking their lives on your behalf, you need to know that they are now in even more danger thanks to comments from Trump and the White House. That story, a commentary from Bob Zeska, and more after this. We all like to eat, and a lot of us are trying to eat healthier. But we don't like searching for the right recipes or shopping for hard-to-find ingredients. And we don't want to spend a whole paycheck on good food only to throw out the exotic ingredients we didn't use. And who has time for all that? So what if the right food in the right amounts came right to your door with an easy-to-follow recipe that you can serve in about 30 minutes? That is what HelloFresh is all about. Delicious recipes reviewed by registered dietitians and carefully chosen ingredients in pre-measured amounts. If the recipe calls for meat, it arrives inside an insulated delivery pack along with the recipe itself and the rest of the ingredients. There are lots of vegetarian meals, too, which gives the HelloFresh menu even more variety. And everything arrives perfect and fresh. So, HelloFresh, it's a way to save time, eat healthier, and actually enjoy the experience. Even a novice can feel like a master chef and eat like a king. I have cooked and eaten HelloFresh meals, and they were unbelievable. Suddenly, we were dining on fancy restaurant food that we made in half an hour. We had the Thai pork stir-fry, the maple balsamic chicken, and the hearty steak and potatoes. Filling, healthy, elegant, and delicious. The house smelled great. Even the presentation rocked. And it was easy and fun, with no trips to the store and nothing that had to be thawed. And HelloFresh offers new recipes every week. HelloFresh has a meal plan that's right for you, and you can pause it for vacation or any reason, or cancel at any time, and there are no minimum delivery commitments. And I can save you 35 bucks on your first week's order. Just go to HelloFresh.com and enter the code BURBANK, B-U-R-B-A-N-K. Save time, cut waste, eat well, and have fun. Go to HelloFresh.com and enter the code BURBANK, to save big on a week that could bring the whole family back to the dinner table.
The lives of American soldiers fighting ISIS are now at even greater risk thanks to comments by Trump and his White House spokesman. Among his bizarre and rambling remarks at the CIA, Trump reminded the workers of what he had said on the campaign trail, that on our way out of Iraq, we should have seized their oil fields. And then Trump ad-libbed an ominous thought. Maybe, he said of the oil, we'll have another chance. It raised the question, would the U.S. commit the war crime of using its military to steal another country's oil? So reporters asked White House spokesman Sean Spicer about that. Spicer declined to say much, except that Trump's comment was part of his negotiating skill. Meanwhile, the Iraqi soldiers fighting alongside Americans against ISIS have turned angry, putting those in harm's way in even greater danger. The Iraqis say the prospect of the U.S. taking their oil under the guise of helping them would set off a new world war, this time with the U.S. as the villain. So the American soldiers fighting ISIS alongside the Iraqis are suddenly working alongside some angry and suspicious guys, thanks to Trump's musing that the U.S. might start taking oil from countries we try to help. Video of Trump's complete collection of comments about Iraqi oil has now gone viral in Iraq, and Iraqi soldiers, without whom we cannot defeat ISIS, are now eyeing our 5,000 men and women there with suspicion. It does not help that a Senate committee has just approved the country's top oil company executive as Trump's Secretary of State, setting foreign policy. Rex Tillerson of ExxonMobil is now expected to be confirmed by the full Senate, along with all of Trump's other nominees. Here at home, Trump has signed executive orders directing full speed ahead on both the Keystone XL and Dakota Access pipelines, so long as they're made of American-made steel. But it would seem to be all about the oil at a time when alternative energy is the immediate future and necessary to the long-term survival of this planet. The protests have already begun in North Dakota, at Trump Tower in New York, and in Washington, where Greenpeace hung a black-on-yellow banner that reads in boldface, all caps, RESIST. From one angle, the banner appears to fly over the White House, an inspiration for the resistance. But the banner could also be seen from the White House. Trump also met this week with the heads of the big three auto companies and told them he'd back off federal air pollution rules for cars on the heels of the planet's warmest year in recorded history. On the same day Trump ordered the building of the XL and Dakota pipelines, there was another oil spill in Canada, 50,000 gallons onto Native American farmland. On the day that Trump was nominated as the Republican candidate, more than 50,000 gallons spilled into the Saskatchewan River, denying clean drinking water for months to 70,000 Canadians downstream. Meanwhile, back in Washington, your elected lawmakers are fixing to okay Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt as head of the EPA. As Oklahoma's AG, Pruitt dissolved the environmental unit of his office and ultimately sued the EPA in Washington. On Pruitt's watch, fracking and oil and gas exploration increased, and Oklahoma went from 63 earthquakes a year to 644 in a year. There are more than two a day now, including the biggest quake ever recorded in the continental U.S. in the past two years. In anticipation of Pruitt's confirmation as head of the EPA, the agency's been ordered to stand down with a freeze placed on all current and future EPA grants and contracts including those that would clean up, say, a big oil spill from a pipeline. And while our roads, bridges, and water lines crumble, 
Trump is focused on building a wall along the Mexican border, one of his most crowd-pleasing campaign promises. It's a $14 billion wall Trump initially promised would be entirely paid for by Mexico, a wall that will be hard to build over water, rugged terrain, and private property. Mexico has, from the start, said it will not pay for that wall in any way, and that contrary to the lie being told by Trump, Mexico is opposed to the wall. After being elected, Trump said the U.S. would pay for construction and that Mexico would, possibly through a tax, pay us back. So once those checks start rolling in from Mexico, we'll all get our wall money back. What could possibly go wrong? Trump announced the building of the wall yesterday, as well as the cutting of federal funding to sanctuary cities, and again, at taxpayers' expense, build more detention centers for immigrants caught after coming here. Mayors in a dozen blue cities across the country are fighting back, so are ministers. Some saying Trump can keep his federal money, that their cities will continue to be safe havens no matter what he says. And Trump is also stopping immigration from Syria, Iran, Iraq, Yemen, and Sudan, but not from Saudi Arabia, which was home base to the 9-11 attackers. He's also suspended the entire refugee program for at least four months. If he singles out Muslim-majority countries, Trump will also be facing a freedom of religion lawsuit under the Constitution's First Amendment. And to the world, it appears the U.S. is bringing back torture. Trump says he's open to bringing it back to fight terrorism. He says he believes it works, even though intelligence experts and psychologists say it doesn't. And even though it's a war crime, this country used to be above. Trump's ordered a review of our policies concerning torture and secret prisons. Again, a policy considered by what the president believes, as opposed to what is fact. We don't think the torture will actually resume, since Trump's top advisors have warned against it, and he says he'll listen to them. And after the embarrassment of the last round of U.S. torture, no CIA worker is likely to want to get caught doing it again, even on presidential orders. Still, Trump says he'd like to have torture as an option. On the upside, your 401k is better off under Trump. The Dow Jones Industrial Average broke the 20,000 mark this week for the first time in its 120-year history, following the fastest rise in history. Investors are heartened by the anticipated deregulation of industry under Trump, especially when it comes to oil and gas. But Boeing, our top defense contractor, led that drive, pushing the Dow over 20. Investors may also be expecting a boon in the war industry. The Chinese have moved missile launchers closer to their borders after the Trump White House announced it would block China's man-made land grab in the South China Sea. And now back to our top story, the gag orders. While thousands of government scientists scramble to preserve data they believe will be destroyed by the Trump administration, some of our park rangers have gone rogue Employees of the Department of Interior's National Park Service have been posting and tweeting in defiance of Trump's order to their department and others to not only avoid public statements, but to avoid social media. Trump has muzzled the aforementioned Environmental Protection Agency, the USDA of all places, the Health and Human Services Department, and the National Institutes of Health, agencies that protect our air, food, and water. And to suit a world of alternative facts, the Trump administration has fired the board that runs the formerly nonpartisan Voice of America, the country's official radio station to the world that can now also be broadcast here at home. 
Now that the Board of Broadcasters has been dissolved at Voice of America, it's being run by two young CEOs who answer not to a bipartisan board, but to Trump personally. He has his own radio station worldwide. From our you-don't-know-what-you-got-till-it's-gone department, a new poll shows that for the first time since it was passed nearly seven years ago, more people like than dislike Obamacare. 49% like it, 47% dislike it. And just in time. On his first day in office, Trump signed an executive order to all federal agencies involved to stop enforcing the requirements of the Affordable Care Act where possible. That means essentially removing penalties for employers who refuse to provide health insurance and removing penalties for people who refuse to sign up for health insurance. These are among the key elements of the health care law that more people now like than dislike. Unpopular as those rules may be in some circles, these are the elements that make Obamacare work, even to the extent that it has. As reported earlier, Republicans in Congress have also taken the first steps toward repealing as nervous Americans continue to await news of a replacement plan. There was grim news for both civil rights and voting rights under the new Trump administration this week. It was a busy week. With the new president comes a new attorney general, presumably Jeff Sessions, to direct how the federal government's interests are represented in court. That includes civil rights cases, including the ones against several police departments and including those reviewing red state voter ID laws. The timing couldn't be worse for the progress finally being made in Texas. A court ruled early on that Texas's voter ID law was unconstitutional because it was, in the judge's words, racially motivated. As the case went up the appeals chain, three other courts agreed with the first judge's conclusion, at least that the voter ID law was racially discriminatory, regardless of whether it was racially motivated. And then the case went to an even higher court, which decided that although Texas's voter ID law is racially discriminatory, there's not enough evidence to prove that race was the motive. So the case went back to the first judge, who was certain to strike down once and for all Texas's racially discriminatory voter ID law. And then the new president was sworn in. And at 12.01 p.m. on Inauguration Day, the U.S. Attorney General's office requested and got a one-month delay in the case due to, quote, transition in leadership at the Justice Department. The Trump administration has already chosen someone to watch out for the civil rights of Americans. He's John Gore a lawyer who made his name fighting civil rights cases against voter ID laws. Most recently, he was the lawyer defending North Carolina's transgender bathroom bill. What can, at this dramatic time, bring conservatives and liberals together? Is that even possible? That's what Bob's here to talk about. He's a respected author and part of the Realm Network as co-host of The Bob and Chez Show. He's also a talented blogger for Salon.com. Now, with one of his latest... Bob Seska. Now that the host of The Celebrity Apprentice has been inexplicably elected and inaugurated as the 45th President of the United States, it's more important than ever for the opposition to unite around the idea of blocking his nefarious deeds. More importantly, it's crucial that all Americans, chiefly those who see this monster for who he is, unite around the goal of making sure that this never, ever happens again. A unified opposition can and will achieve these goals. A divided opposition will only serve to guarantee more Trumps in our future and, with it, the disintegration of our republic under the awkward weight of idiocracy, of more ungainly, dangerous, cartoonish doofuses like Trump in the White House. 
Successfully fighting Trump demands unity, and unity means the progressive movement joining with center-left liberals. It means center-left liberals joining with moderates. And yes, it means all of the above joining with conservatives and center-right opponents of Trumpism. Naturally, we don't all agree on policy, but we agree on perhaps the most critical issue of our time, reigning in this brutal pandemic, this viral populism and bigoted white nationalism that's infected too many voters. It means reaching out to conservatives who are deeply skeptical of Trump for the same reasons the rest of us are. His autocratic tendencies, his stunted view of democracy, and his erratic, unpresidential behavior, to name just a few of the myriad problems with the notion of President Trump. The left would do well to form alliances with sensible anti-Trump conservatives like Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt, Charlie Sykes, Tom Nichols, John Schindler, Nicole Wallace, David Frum, and many others who've decided to put nation ahead of party. They may say things, by the way, that'll piss off the left in terms of policy prescriptions or their assessment of President Obama, but their present goals are the same as ours. Trumpism cannot be allowed to flourish. It also means Hillary Clinton supporters burying their primary season vitriol against Bernie Sanders supporters, vice versa, of course, for supporters of Bernie. The primary fight had its place and had its uses, but now the enemies at the gate are far more egregious and our mission to marginalize those enemies requires all hands on deck. It requires unrelenting tenacity, and more than anything else, it requires a unified anti-Trump coalition. As my good friend and podcast partner Ches Pazienza said on our show on the Realm Network the other day, America has crossed a terrible river Rubicon in elevating Trump and his minion. Historically, Julius Caesar declaring alia iacta est, the die is cast, knew that marching his army across the Rubicon and into Rome, which was forbidden by law, couldn't be rolled back. In our current predicament, we've allowed the door to swing wide open for future Trumps, but there's still an opportunity to contain the madness that escaped into the world. In the end, it might not be much of a challenge to turn Trump's brand of destabilizing awfulness into political poison. Indeed, he does much of the legwork himself. That said, there's also an extraordinarily strong chance the pandemic could spread threatening democracy and, not least of all, global stability. We can still win this fight. Let's get to work. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Be sure to catch the Bob and Chez Show right here at RealmNetwork.com. Britain okayed Brexit and the U.S. elected Trump. It was populist politics that made those moves to the right and others possible. The politics of gaining power by focusing on the concerns of ordinary people. Pope Francis was asked about the rise of populism around the world this week. Quoting in phrases here, the pontiff said populist leaders are collecting the discomfort of citizens. He suggested that some use fear to build hatred toward the foreigner. From there, Pope Francis reviewed the rise of Hitler as an example of populism. That was a day after the pope had said he was praying for Trump and months after Francis said building a wall to keep out immigrants is not Christian. Remembering Mary, the top movies, Omar's Oscar preview, and the usual fun, up next. Don't stop me, even if you've heard this before. A couple of college students wanted the kind of stylish watches that others were wearing, but like a lot of college kids, they were broke. Nothing that stylish with any quality was affordable. A little research taught them quality and fashion don't have to be expensive if you cut out the middleman by selling direct to you online. So little by little, they started their own watch company in much the same way we started this network. Even the name of the company is high fashion, MVMT for movement. 
People will ask you about your movement watch with its classic design, minimalist style, and quality construction. These are watches that would sell in a department store for 400 to 500 bucks, but Movement makes them yours starting at just 95 bucks with free shipping and free returns. That's why Movement is the world's fastest growing watch company with over a half million sold in over 160 countries around the world. And because you listen to this program, you get another 15% off that already amazing price. Just go to mvmtwatches.com/realm R-E-L-M. Be like us. Join the movement. MVMTwatches.com slash R-E-L-M. Beloved actress Mary Tyler Moore has died at the age of 80 from pneumonia. She'd been nominated for an Oscar for her dramatic role in 1980's Ordinary People. After starting her TV career in the late 1950s in a show that featured only her voice and her legs... She became a symbol of modern womanhood in prime time, first on The Dick Van Dyke Show and later in must-see TV as career woman Mary Richards. For that role, she won seven Emmys and stature as an American icon. Mary Tyler Moore gone now, but remembered forever. A horror movie wasn't just the top movie last weekend. It was a $40 million opening for Split. The Return of Xander Cage was second at $20 million, followed by my Oscar choice this year, Hidden Figures. La La Land, which is more likely to win Best Picture, was fifth in theaters. And now, here's this year's Oscar preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment editor Omar Latiri, and brought to you by Fandango. The nominees for the 89th Academy Awards have been announced, and critical darling La La Land leads the nominees with 14 nominations, tying Titanic and All About Eve for most nominations in Oscar history, including writing, directing, both lead actor and actress, and best picture. The other nominees for Best Picture include Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Among the other nominees, three-time Oscar winner Meryl Streep has earned her 20th Oscar nomination for her performance in Florence Foster Jenkins. It seems Mel Gibson is back in Hollywood's good graces with a directing nomination for Hacksaw Ridge. In the original song category, Justin Timberlake is now an Oscar nominee for his song Can't Stop the Feeling from the movie Trolls, and Hamilton composer Lin-Manuel Miranda is nominated for the song How Far I'll Go from Moana. Miranda's Oscar nomination places him just one award away from the coveted EGOT achievement, namely winning an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Personally, I'm a little sad that You're Welcome from Moana was not nominated because I would have loved to see Dwayne Johnson perform at the Oscars. Some notable snubs, Amy Adams was not nominated for her performance in Arrival, Tom Hanks was snubbed for his performance in Sully, and my personal favorite movie-going experience of 2016, Captain America Civil War, was not nominated for anything. At least Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, received two nominations, one in visual effects and one in sound mixing. Acting nominees in lead and supporting categories are the most diverse ever this year, with a record six black actors and one Indian actor nominated. These acting nominations, combined with the subject matters of the nominated films and performances, are a direct result of the criticism of the past few years known as hashtag Oscars so white. 
The Oscars will be broadcast on Sunday, February 26th, but before that, in just a few weeks, an arts review and commentary will release our fourth annual Academy Awards show. There, you'll hear whether we believe the nominees deserve their nominations and we'll predict the winners. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Latiri. Thanks, Omar. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. And listen to Omar on his show, Arts Review and Commentary, right here at realmnetwork.com. And the insurance agent said, you did what now? If you suspect car insurance companies hear some bizarre stories, this past week is dedicated to you. A dash cam video from Washington State shows a motorcyclist crashing at high speed into a car that had suddenly braked in front of him. The biker wound up sitting uninjured on the trunk of the car he'd just hit. In Pennsylvania, the dash cam was also rolling when a big crescent wrench flew off a truck and into the windshield of a guy named Scott who was showered in broken glass and shaken, but otherwise unhurt, and still sharp enough to write down the truck's plate number. In Virginia, a security camera caught the stunning video of a train hitting a car. The car had become immovable right over the tracks as the train was coming. The driver got out and allowed the train to do what he could not, move the car off the tracks. The car was totaled, of course, but no one got hurt. But our big winner is the poor guy in California who had a tree fall on his truck at work at Sacramento College during a windstorm. What once looked like a normal pickup now looks more like a taco shell. But this guy's day was just getting started. He got a ride back to his house in the suburb of West Sacramento only to discover that a tree had fallen there too, crushing his own car and someone else's. But at least he still had the lottery ticket he'd purchased that morning. It was not a winning ticket, unfortunately. Still, Georgie Karpakin says he feels like the luckiest guy. Why, he asked on Facebook. Because it came out alive, he wrote. Some days, that in itself is a victory. And finally, let's make America civil again. Who's with me? The rudeness among people seems to be at its worst, and that apparently extends into the judicial branch of government. In El Paso, Texas, a judge, angry at another judge, didn't just give the middle finger to his rival, he shook it at him. The target of the finger had apparently derailed the angry judge's plea deal negotiations. Instead of the two judges talking it out, there was that finger. Finger judge was charged with disorderly conduct, and he'll now face a third judge about that. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank News and Comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network. This week on the Mark and Lowell Show. Do you have any moments where your parents would just completely bullshit you? I feel bad that I sometimes do things like that with my kids now, although right. I know how wrong it is. Like if one of my daughters is really not listening and, and it's just getting very, very stressful, I'll sit down and act like I'm like about to pass out. Just be like, hold on, stop. And they'll be like, 
what's the matter? I'll be like, this is just too much. <laughs> and, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. They're going to think you have serious health problems. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's so fun. It's okay. You keep giving daddy crab. I, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's when you really do. Daddy. When yeah. you really I'll, do. I'll, I'll like, sit down and be like. Just, yeah, Dad, we, we've been down this road before. We're oh, over it. Dad faking the heart attack again? Yeah. I don't know. He's sweating. Yeah. He's kind of white. <laughs> He's got beads know. of sweat. Why are his lips turning blue? Resistance is futile. It's the Mark and Lowell Show.